Hello, listeners. Welcome to another edition of the Not the Top Twenty podcast. It's a bit of a bits and bobs. This isn't it? A bit of a Q and A pod. Uh, and any other business as well. We've seen a couple of interesting things transpire over the last few days. We've seen a couple of interesting things on Twitter. Uh, Most importantly, we wanted to make sure that after a pretty hectic few podcasts involving guests, uh, transfer windows, etc., that we were listening to what you wanted to know, what you wanted us to talk about. And as such, we put out the klaxon on Twitter earlier, asking for your questions. We got some really good ones. So thank you for that. Uh, Mostly championship-based today, it must be said, but we're only going on what we were given and and we're going to crack straight on. Uh, George Ellick is on my right. I am Ali Maxwell and George, Jack and Chris both asked about Paul Heckingbottom and Leeds. That's the big news really of the last 24 hours in the championship. Uh, They want to know our thoughts on Paul Heckingbottom's appointment at Leeds. Uh, Will he do a job? Will he do a good job? And did Thomas Christensen deserve to be sacked? So I'm going to ask you to to approach that last question first. Thomas Christensen joined in the summer, gone by February. Was it a fair dismissal? It's hard to say, dependent on what the the ambitions were at the beginning of the season. I have a feeling that the the, the willingness to to be promoted was built on on the the first half of last season uh, when actually revert to, to, to kind of a worse position and worse form maybe should have tempered those ambitions a fair bit and, and also the beginning of this season um, I'm not sure that this lead squad is one of the best in the league and as such the position they find themselves in um, is maybe not that surprising having said that there has been a tail tailing off in performances um, and for that uh, Christensen has paid, paid the price but yeah if I was a Leeds fan I probably wouldn't be gutted about it um, it didn't look like there was much light at the end of the tunnel uh, and in Heckingbottom, they've got a talented coach who I'm excited to see, hopefully given the time at a, at a, bigger, at a big club to, to do his thing. Leeds over the last half decade or decade are known for hiring and firing managers, you know, as if they're cheap suits. But it's not quite the same or it doesn't feel quite the same this time around, not only because this is a new owner and, you know, you've got to start a clean slate uh, as such. But and this is his first hiring and his first firing. But... As you say, it's not it's not a Dave Hocker day. It's not a you know they didn't get him in and and bin him off before he had a chance to show what he could or couldn't do. No, but you still for whatever reason you still find that this is a risk for Heckingbottom. Uh, you still feel like if it doesn't go to plan, uh, he will be another one of those talented coaches who's gone to Leeds and has ended up looking for a job again um, with his reputation not quite intact because I mean even even Gary Monk who, who was in a similar position I know he went to Middlesbrough which, which is arguably a step up but at the same time it didn't work out there and it does feel like something at Leeds isn't quite right um, and he's coming into I mean Heckingbottom is a manager who's overseen the progression of a lot of players who've uh, kind of grown in the EFL and he's taking over a squad who largely with the exception of the likes of Kamal Roof and obviously now Tyler Roberts amongst others there's a lot of players who Christensen brought in obviously from Europe so it's going to be a massive uh, change for him in that respect in terms of the people he's going to have under him I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens I think that at Barnsley um, he'd done such a good job there that he was probably safe and, and obviously signing a new contract suggests that the, the recent dip in form didn't concern them too much 
but at the same time they always felt that like there was going to be a bit of a ceiling from there and now he's he's at a club which realistically should be a top 10 Premier League club yeah it's a really interesting sort of wrinkle in this whole thing is that f- from a Barnsley point of view uh, you lose a local legend who, who played for the club who worked his way up through the development squad as a coach uh, in the first five months of his tenure wins a playoff final and a JPT final at Wembley you know bringing some of the club's greatest moments of their modern history um, who finished 14th in his first season in the championship with as you touched on there a young inexperienced squad with a low uh, budget a man who dealt with a succession of, of his key players players that he can claim serious credit for their development who lost them um, who kept working hard kept showing that sort of Yorkshire grit I suppose while developing the club's um, players and and yet you know from the one hand that's what Barnsley have lost someone so important to them who meant so much to them who are feeling betrayed really because of that because of who he's moved to and there you have Leeds fans seemingly feeling quite underwhelmed what would you say to a Leeds fan who, who's, who's, who would say to you well uh, this is a team who are one, play, one point above the relegation zone how can you say he's done a good job I, th- I think it's just very short termist and, and they haven't really looked into the job he's done there uh, I've seen so many Leeds fans on social media saying, you know, one win in 16, we're like, where's the ambition? Well, I mean, the job he's done there has been pretty extraordinary. Um, and if you look at the players he's brought through and the players he's lost in his tenure to keep them where they are, and I think the performance levels are still fairly decent and I, I, I don't think they'll go down. Uh, at least I didn't think they were going, going to go down when Heckenbottom was in charge. So Dave, I think, if anything, it's almost more of an ambitious uh, appointment than some of the other ones in the past because he's young and he's ambitious and he's got a high ceiling and, and it's it's a positive move. Um, the last 16 games for the, or the results in them shouldn't um, necessarily dictate uh, the way they feel about him against QPR in his last game. I think they had 19 shots and, and, and drew a blank. So I'd, 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 I'd tell these to maybe not have ideas so so possibly above their station well I, w- I would say to Paul Heckingbottom my word of advice to him l- looking back at Gary Monk who started so well at Leeds and then tailed off or perhaps sort of reverted back to to to, to a slightly less um, overachieving uh, performance level if you will Thomas Christensen whose Leeds flew out the traps this season and again have dropped off down into 10th place you know it's su- it's such a hard juggling act for Heckingbottom you don't want to be a victim of your own early success and then you know Fall, fall backwards slightly and get blamed for it. You also, you can't afford to start badly. So Leeds are in 10th. Uh, they're seven matches without a win. They lost 4-1 at home to Cardiff on the weekend. It, it's, it's, it's a baptism of fire this weekend with a Yorkshire derby. And it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a really interesting development um, for us as followers, <coughs> as followers of, of Heckingbottoms, Barnsley and of well, everyone's Leeds over the last few years. So um, just from a Barnsley point of view, George Sam asked us, and, and I think he reflects a lot of Barnsley fan sentiment right now when he says, can you please do a therapy session for us? Tell us some good things about being a Barnsley fan. Mawson, Hurahan, Winnell, Watkins, Roberts, Scowan, and now Heckingbottom. He says, I can't take any more. So what do you say to, to the Barnsley fans who are feeling like that? I think you've still got to remember that this is the beginning of a new era for Barnsley um, and Heckingbottom leaving it maybe bookends the, the last um, you know what started with Lee Johnson's appointment uh, bookends that era you know the new ownership of the club the, the commitment to probably a more a clever approach to football and, and recruitment in general that the young players that, that you've mentioned have, have been succeeded by by more young players who are, who are obviously playing well now. You know, the likes of, we spoke about Liam Lindsay before. There's also Adam Jackson as well, who's, who's done very, very well. Joe, Joe Williams. So the, the players, it's not like the the, the, um, 
the turnover of player of talented players over now. Um, I think there's there's another group going through, and, and and hopefully for Barnsley's sake that they, the new owners and the people in charge of the club are cleverer now in ensuring that they maximise the profit from from these assets that they've got. Um, and just fingers crossed they get the appointment right and get someone who can keep them in the division because I think that there's still massive, massive potential in the club and, and whoever's making the decisions in terms of player recruitment um, has done a great job and will continue to do so, I'm sure, given the, the connections of the, of the new lads. Mm, what I would say is, you know, looking back at, I think the, the club were in 12th when Heckingbottom took over. There's a lot of talk about how he took them from the relegation zone to promotion. It's not quite truly Johnson had overseen the start of that good run, but from 12th to promotion, you know, looking at some of the teams who were around Barnsley in the bottom half of League One two seasons ago, two years ago, uh, and where those teams are now, you know, a lot of them still scrapping in League One, a lot of them down in League Two, and you know, some of the results that you've had, some of the success that you've had with these great players that you've mentioned who have moved on and with Paul Heckingbottom you know you, you've got to remember that those those are, are positive memories despite how how tough it is now I, I feel like a genuine therapist here um, and and you know there are plenty of clubs who in that same time span haven't seen even you know one fifth of the of the quality that you have uh, and and enjoyed the same sort of results so that, that's what I'd say um, Bradford sacked Stuart McCall I mean you talk about club legends leaving the club and you talk about fans being gutted you know different scenario here because he's been sacked he's not moved to a rival but for the second time Stuart McCall leaves Bradford City and again I think fan opinion is is it's not happy about it you know it's a team that lost six games in a row um, who had a horrible month but fans probably would have liked to have seen the club hold on to the club legend for a little bit longer. Oh yeah, I was surprised to see the reaction. Um, he's someone that I uh, wasn't a f- big fan of managerially before he took the job at Bradford's um, and as such lost a lot of money um, by opposing them last season. <laughs> uh, and and I think that it's... It, it, it's look, looking in, it looked like the wheels had fallen off. It looked like it had struggled. I, I saw a tweet from um, at Ewan JM, Ewan Miller, Stuart McCall was sacked with the best win rate of any Bradford manager in the last 30 years. A playoff final in his first season back, only out of the top six for three weeks in a season and a half, and the club are lying sixth in League One, and he's not in charge of recruitment. And if you look at it like that, then it does seem like a, like a surprising decision. And I think that given the, the, the new ownership at the club and people making the decisions, and, and McCall is obviously such a, a club legend, I think the fans feel like McCall leaving it, it is it's slightly losing its identity in a way, and especially with them now being linked to Hannes Wolf, who's a, who's a German manager who's never managed over here before, who who ninety nine percent of football fans uh, in Yorkshire probably hadn't heard of until until yesterday morning is just another step away from it. And yeah, personally, as I said, I was surprised to see the outpouring of you'd expect to see regret because he's a club legend, but I was surprised how many people thought he was still the right man for the job. Mm. You, you read out some of those very positive stats there. Um, for, 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 for sake of playing devil's advocate, you know, Bradford are sixth, um, which is slightly misrepresentative because Charlton and Peterborough both have two games in hand. So in terms of the playoff picture, there's a long way to go, but technically, mathematically, it's not in Bradford's hands. Um, they had such a horrible month. McCall called it one horrible month after 18 months of progression and improvement. That's quite hard to argue with, but... Well, home form. Yeah. I mean, the home form completely fell apart. 
Sure. Um, they've conceded more goals by February than they did over the whole of last season. And they have a negative goal difference of minus two. Last season, they finished with plus 19. So while, you know, you can look at it both ways is what I'm saying here. They are in the playoff places. Um, but compared to last season, not good enough. Now, the point that you touched on, which I think is most relevant here, is the recruitment. Um, McCall, not in charge of that. The German owners um, keen to go towards a more German structure of that club, whereby a, a, a manager, as we know them, is more of a, a head coach in charge of, of training and, and taking the matches um, underneath someone in charge of recruitment, a sort of sporting director or something similar. And that's where things get a little bit tough when you're trying to analyse. I mean, over the summer, they lost five of the players who started in the playoff final. Some big names leaving as well. The likes of McArdle and, and Billy Clark, Mark Marshall. Um, they spent £400,000, which is big numbers in League One, on the likes of Jake Reeves, Shane McCartan, Dominic Polion. Not necessarily recreated um, the sort of uh, the success of last season. And so then it becomes how how much uh, that is down to McCall. It's, it's impossible to say from us. And I guess it's hard to disagree maybe with fans who thought that, that maybe he was dealt a bit of a blow. But one last question on Bradford for you. Hannes Wolf, you mentioned, um, has been heavily linked. I think he's the current favourite. Bright young thing in German football. He's managed Stuttgart uh, already in his, in his early career. Simon Grayson, obviously a good recent record at championship level uh, for non-basket case clubs, of course. Um, and Uwe Rosler, who's, you know, by all intents and purposes, led a bit of a revolution at Fleetwood, although results have slightly dropped off, but it is very highly regarded within the game. What I want to ask is, is this a good job for a manager? Is this, a, is this an attractive job? These are impressive names being linked. Do you see them being excited to take over Bradford? Definitely. Um, and if, if, if a manager, it's obviously a big club anyway, with, with um, spending most of its, its existence, or at least recent existence, in the top two leagues. And um, the fact that they've, they've got rid of McCall after such a short um, stint of, of mediocrity or, or, or worse suggests that the, the owners are very ambitious and they expect better. Um, and that, to me, um, wouldn't put me off as a manager or think they're trigger happy. It would show that, actually, um, this is a club going places and, and sixth place won't be rewarded. Um, they're expecting more. And as you say, they spent money in the in the summer to strengthen, which I'm sure they'll do again. Um, they took a huge following to Wembley. It's, it's a big club. And I, I, I think that the their slump of the last decade or so is over uh, as shown by last season and they're, they're certainly ready to get back in the championship and I'm sure that that'll be the aim of, of whoever they do get to, to come in must be very tough seeing the success of Millwall who I wanted to give a nod to after a, an impressive away win at Reading on the weekend obviously that was the playoff final in League One last season uh, incredibly tight game almost entirely evenly split and uh and won by Steve Morrison near the end. And, and you know, looking at Millwall now in 14th, acquitting themselves so well in the championship, I, I imagine there's a real sense of what might have been. I should also say that um, in sort of reading up on today, uh, I, I had the absolute pleasure of reading a, an article by Katie Wyatt, who's definitely a friend of the pod. Um, she writes brilliantly about Bradford on a website, widthofapost.com. That's where we go when we need context for, for Bradford decision-making, when we need to gauge opinion. And, and Katie's article, on Stuart McCall's departure was fantastic so thank you guys for that and we hope that uh, we've sort of represented all schools of thought here uh, and we're moving on and we're going to take some questions George so starting with 
um, both Pat and Jonathan Turner, who asked a question along a similar theme. That was, what, do we both feel... Both their surnames are Turner? Yeah, Pat, Pat Turner. Turner. And who's that one? I think it's Pat Houlihan, which is like a Pro Evo version of Conor Hurahan. <laughs> or Wes Houlihan. Or Wes Houlihan, yeah, it's spelt slightly <laughs> differently, though. That's a, that's a good point. Anyway, Pat Houlihan and Jonathan Turner, no relation uh, to each other. They asked about Fulham. Um, we're getting a lot of questions from, from our, our Fulham fan listeners. They say, do we feel that Fulham are favourites? to get the second automatic promotion spot based on their current form. Now, we spoke last time about how our expectation is that it'll be Derby, perhaps, Villa, perhaps, Fulham, perhaps. These are three teams in sensational form. 11 unbeaten for Derby, six wins in a row for Villa, and five wins in a row for Fulham, who are eight unbeaten. So, George, does it come down to the points difference that's already there. I know that that is sort of holding you back from yeah. saying yes. I mean, if, if it was a level playing field now and all teams were on the same amount of points underneath Wolves, I would say yes. But um, Fulham are a few points back. If you look at the table now, Derby 57, Villa 56, Cardiff 54 with a game in hand, Fulham 51, Bristol City 51. So there will be a reliance on uh, those teams dropping points unless... You know, Fulham do go on and continue this run of just winning every game, in which case there'll be little the other teams can do about it. But to answer the question factually, no, they aren't. Uh, uh, to put it bluntly, I've got the odds checker promotion page in front of me. Uh, you should all check it out, obviously. And uh, Derby and Villa are basically five to six joint fabs to come uh, second. Cardiff, uh, best price five to two, but around the two to one mark generally. Fulham, best price seven to two, but around the three to one mark generally. So. Because of that points difference, they are just behind. But I mean, it's been an absolutely unbelievable few weeks for Fulham. I, I feel um, frustrated on Fulham fans' behalf that they didn't start the season as they finished the last one and as they're playing now. Because in which case, it would be a two-horse race at the top of the table, akin to Wolves. Uh, sorry, akin to um, Brighton, Newcastle last season. But even so, they're in a great position now, and I would be shocked if they're not uh, in the mixer. But ben Mayhew whose work we religiously follow. Um, he does better than anyone. Um, data visualisation and, and, and performance data work for the Championship League 1 and League 2. Now, he presented his, his updated Championship probabilities, probabilities based on his expected goals model. And in his model's eyes, obviously Wolves completely guaranteed, 99% guaranteed of a space in the top two. At the team in second, with around a 38% chance of top two, were Cardiff. So I ask you, as someone who likes the expected goals model and, its, and its predictive uh, ability and capacity, I do, I do, yeah. do we underrate Cardiff and, and others, not just us, but you know they don't get mentioned in those questions that we get asked? And if so, why are Cardiff underrated? Why are people so um, focused on Fulham, Villa and Derby when Cardiff are, are up there as well on merit? I think for, it, it kind of speaks for itself because they were a bit of a surprise to be up there in the first place. They've got a manager in Neil Warnock who, who isn't necessarily fashionable. They have a style of football that you wouldn't really pay lots of money to go and see. They're not going to grab any headlines, but at the same time, you know, they're going under the radar and they're doing mm. it very well. Villa, you'd expect to be in a promotion race. Derby, exactly the same with Gary Rowett, the, you know, the manager who's the, seems to be the go-to person for young British coaches. So, so you're not surprised by that at all. And, and if you're looking, you know, they had that bad stretch of uh, run of form where they lost four, four in the bounce. 
um, at the turn of the year. And I think we all thought the wheels were coming off, but they've completely steadied the ship. They've scored four goals in two of their last three league games. They drew nil nil away at Sheffield Wednesday, which is a decent result. Um, if you're looking at their fixtures coming up, they've got Millwall away, which is tough, but certainly winnable. Bolton at home, which they'll expect to get a result. Ipswich away, they'll expect to get a result. I think they're obviously, as the data says, they're, they're there on merit, and I think the people who who are discounting them um, are, are are wrong. Really, they'll, they'll be in the mix. What a start for the uh, Gary Medine era at Cardiff, a four-one win at Leeds. You know, it was a good time to play them, obviously, but they absolutely battered them. And uh, Callum Patterson as well, having an unbelievable season. What a versatile player! I was sort of expecting him to be playing right back, and he's been playing pretty much up front for them and, yeah. and uh, contrib- contri- contributing hugely, contributing even. So well done to Cardiff. Uh, Nick has asked, out of the teams between 7th and 12th currently in the Championship, who's got the best chance to break into the top six? So he's talking about Preston, Sheffield United, Middlesbrough, Leeds, Brentford and Ipswich. And I suppose, by extension, Norwich, who are on the same amount of points as Ipswich. So have you got anyone that you think has has got a a chance there of breaking into the top six? Sounds a bit weird to refer to Sheffield United as breaking in because they've just fallen out. But but yeah, I think that Sheffield United could do it if they get their form back. I think Preston are obviously... Uh, on a trajectory that's certainly upwards and and you know we, we bang the drum a fair bit but being Brentford should be up there but they'll probably continue to drop points mm. um, I, I can't see a way for um, Ipswich to get anywhere near it I think they should be looking over their shoulders rather than up even though they I mean not a relegation but uh, and then Middlesbrough are a strange one where you keep thinking that Tony Pulis is Tony Pulis them and then they and then they drop points so Looking at those teams, I'd say Preston um, are probably the most likely with Sheffield United, a team who, if if they can turn it around, still have the talent to to do so. Follow on follow on question was: Is Dean Smith, or rather, are we sure that Dean Smith is good enough to get Brentford into the playoffs, whether that's now or in the future? It's just you don't know what the problem is there. It's it's, it's is there a, is there a problem? Me. They're doing they're doing well. Are they? But by by what standards? Well, by by. By most standards, I think, I think. I think and it was a poor start to the season. Taught, I mean, talking of data, of data-led things, of data-led uh, analysis, they, they've consistently underperformed the of what the, you know the points amounts they should be getting based on their performances. You know, uh, missing good chances has been a massive thorn in their heel for for eighteen months now, and you have to wonder when this this issue becomes something that is it the manager's fault is it the players fault they've got players who naturally aren't very good at, aren't very clinical they can see goals at late times I, I don't know but I personally don't see 11th place in the league as necessarily being a good position for this Brentford team well I mean they've been consistently moving upwards for the last Certainly. three months or so so yeah. um, in in his defence I would say uh, you know if we're talking about data he's has set up a team this season who have consistently created better chances Definitely. than their opposition yeah, and course. those chances haven't been taken so again you're coming down to really nitty gritty um, are goals conceded down to, to the players are they down to the managers is poor finishing down to the players or how much is it down to the players how much is it down to the managers the other thing I would add is you know he you know we're talking about Bradford and their system Dean Smith involved with recruitment but not in the old school manager kind of way there's a there's a well documented model there that helps to, to sign Brentford players and a certain type of players and the players that he's got at his disposal you know it's a very pretty team to watch they they play the only way that they can play because they're all ball playing pretty much from the back to the striker they're all ball players they're not necessarily nitty gritty your standard archetypal championship cloggers and so I'm not really sure what else he would be expected you know if they are a bit soft I don't really know what he's meant to do with with the squad that 
he's been sort of given, really. You know, they're, they're very good players. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I just feel like the, the players, the squad at their disposal and the technical ability of them is, is better than their position in the league. And I wouldn't be surprised if a better manager um, or someone more suited to the role could get a better tune out of them and get them in a better position. Nice. Uh, Andy asked us, do you feel, as I do, that despite the money flying around, there is a noticeable lack of quality in the championship this year? Wolves apart, obviously. Especially going forward. He said, it seems like I'm always disappointed by the lack of goals in the league on a Saturday. Now, firstly, I just want to say, this is exactly the sort of question that we're looking for uh, when we ask for your questions. We love club-specific stuff, but we also love sort of bigger picture stuff, you know, things to really get our teeth into. So, George... Andy's saying that he reckons there's a noticeable lack of quality in the championship this year. Do you think that is uh, merited? How are you feeling about the league this year? I wouldn't necessarily say that um, a, you know less goals than you'd expect comes down to lack of quality. It could just be that the teams are, are defensively quite good. Better. Um, I do kind of know what you mean. Just looking down at the top goal scorers list, though, you've got Matic Vidrio, who obviously loves scoring goals at championship level and just can't do it at Premier League level, so you could argue that he's at his level Leon Clark who is having his best season ever having been mostly a kind of journeyman striker let's ignore the the uh, ignore the Wolves players we've got Albert Adoma who you know if we're, if we're going to be honest again isn't good enough to play in the Premier League Bobby Reid who's who's having a breakthrough season so we don't know what's going to be expected of him Lewis Graben another one who you know again he's, he's tried to make the step up and hasn't done it so uh, yeah maybe if you were a, if you were a uh, Premier League team looking into looking into the championship looking for firepower I don't really know where you find it interesting stuff now Gab from the Football Lab uh, an excellent website that covers the EFL fantastically well uh, he asks could last season promotion contenders Reading and Sheffield Wednesday both playoff teams last year could they be dragged into a relegation dogfight uh, we asked we got asked a similar question from Daft Penguin for context Sheffield Wednesday lost 3-1 at home to Birmingham on the weekend Reading lost 2-0 at home to Millwall both results <laughs> met with some serious uh, worries from their respective sets of fans. Sheffield Wednesday are in 17th. They're seven points above the relegation zone. And Reading are in 18th. They are six points above the relegation zone. So, George, can either of those teams be dragged into it? Will either of those teams be dragged into it? Are some of them in it already? I think Reading in it, in it already. Um, I think that it's not a surprise, really, to us, Gab. We, we've spoken about it before. Um, it's... it's that they're not really a very good football team, sadly, and and, and what's happening there is is, is frustrating. I I, uh, I think Yapstam. I feel kind of sorry for him because I feel like at the beginning of last season, if they were six points clear of the, the relegation zone at this stage, it probably wouldn't have been a job badly done. Um, and as we've said before, he's he seems to be paying the price for the fans maybe for for their success last season. Although he's still in the job, so maybe the board recognised that and that actually survival this season um, isn't the worst uh, result. But Sheffield Wednesday, it's a tough one because they've obviously got the quality in their team and, and they shouldn't be where they are. And, and the, the decision to replace Carvajal now um, with, the, with the current manager seems to be fairly ludicrous considering what he's doing in the Premier League. I, I don't necessarily disagree with the decision to get rid of Carvajal considering what was going on there, but the, the appointment um, now just, just looks bereft of any real um, reason. I mean, they're absolutely shot to pieces at the back. Um, injuries have, have played a big part all season, but I mean, Pudil is just completely out of his depth playing at centre-back. Leuven's looks to have lost 
he's sort of reached that age where he's just really kind of lost it. Um, and Federico Venancio, who's one of their new boys, just had an absolute stinker at St Andrews, or rather at Hillsborough, uh, on the weekend. And, and that's a big issue for them. I remember watching a game against Brentford about a month ago, where, again, one of the worst performances, you know, defensive performances I've ever seen. Um, they're really missing Tom Lease, basically, and have been all season. And that's, that's a big issue. I still, I personally think that Hull, Sunderland and Burton will be the teams to go down. So with a six and seven point gap, respectively, I'm, I, I'm not terrified just yet but as we know you know both of those performances were really poor on the weekend yeah in home games against teams that you know in, in games that they were favorites for and that is a trend that cannot continue um, much longer looking back at some of the best performances of the weekend George as we uh, turn into the final straight um, the comeback kings there were three teams that I think we can shine a light on for yeah, having hellos. for having just done uh, amazing things uh, over the weekend and one of the games was at the valley Charlton 2 Oxford 3 you were there you called it one of your best ever experiences at a football match um, last week you rallied to an extent against a, a poor half season for the club really and um, and and expressed some concerns about about decision making about whether people were pulling in the same direction so tell me about Saturday and and what happened there and what it might mean yeah it was brilliant it was it felt like the beginning of a of a new chapter and i think anyone who was there who had concerns about pep clotet being let go i think those are, are, are long distance memories now it was like watching the team of old and you could see I think that if anyone needed any evidence that the players may be happy that, that Pep's gone, I think we saw it because, I mean, the, the celebrations to the goals, the, the effort put in by the likes of Ryan Ledson and, and Joe Rothwell and James Henry and Alex Mowat and all these guys who've, who've kind of underperformed a bit this season was just was just brilliant. And their reaction to the win, you know, we were 2-1 down going to the last five minutes, having hit the post twice, um, once at 0-0. Uh, John Avika and then Isaac Bartley Ricketts hitting the post at 2-1 and it felt like it wasn't going to be our day even though we completely deserved the three points and I was getting very irate because it's one thing uh, drawing a game when you deserve to win but losing one is, is hard to swallow so um, and just some fantastic goals to finish it and it feels like you know I was, I was tweeting the guys at the Totally Football League show yesterday just saying you know it was, it was a much 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 more than three points um, if we had lost that we were properly looking down and now there's the real feeling that, that if we put a run together um, we could be looking upwards and, and it was a reminder of just the quality of some players in our squad like you know there's the, the reason why the likes of Preston and and Blackburn were, were up for Rothwell and um, and uh, Ledson is because they're too good for this level really and the reason why we turned down bids of you know a million quid for Ledson and, and whatever Rothwell is because they're too good for this level and they showed it on Saturday so looking forward to the, to the next few games and, and hope, hoping that whoever we get in now is, is the guy to bring out the best in these players well could it possibly be Derek Fazakli, the caretaker manager possibly I mean I, I, I wouldn't have been up for it before the game and having seen the performance on Saturday I'd now be chuffed if he got the job uh, it sounds like David Unsworth is, is, in the, is in the box seat at the moment um, which would be interesting to say, yeah, it's, it'd be another unknown. So it'd be a bit of a risk, but you've got to trust the, the management that they know what they're doing. Just down the, the road from London, Wickham beat Carlisle 4-3. Now, I was doing some, some research on Wickham last week before this game and just amazed by what I found, really. I think it's a, an interesting stat, maybe slightly gone under the radar, that they've, they've scored the second highest amount of goals 
uh, the second most goals in the whole of the EFL, Wickham, 59 goals from their 30 league games, so pretty much two goals a game, which is absolutely sensational. They're behind Luton, of course, um, but scoring at an unbelievable level. Their defence is, is pretty average, which is what we saw on the weekend as they came from behind to win 4-3, um, having gone ahead earlier on. Um, they are fantastic from set pieces. They play um, based around the strengths, uh, the immense strengths of, of Akin Fenwa. And it's an incredible season that he's having. I, I was thinking about it the other day you know there's a chance that because Luton have so many star men that he could end up being the League Two player of the year I mean the way that he is such a focal point of that team the way that he's producing at such a high level at his age not just goals but assists as well both in double figures uh, is absolutely sensational I think it's um, it's huge credit to him that you know I've disparaged him before about his sort of uh, celebrity online persona but you cannot argue with the work that he's clearly continuing to put in how long do you reckon he'll do it for? I've absolutely no idea. I mean, he's 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 yeah. barely been injured this season. Yeah. Um, it, it must take a toll on his body. The amount of bouncing off defenders he does, but he's in such good shape that I feel like he's dominating the opposition defenders. So perhaps coming off better each game. Um, it's really hard to say because he's clearly you know a, a unique case physically. You know, we've never seen anyone really of his shape um, play effectively uh, in the in the professional game, and he's doing it. So it's quite hard to say really. Um, also in League Two, Accrington beat Stevenish three two. Now, it feels to me like Accrington do this all the time. Um, they were behind 2-0 in the first half at home to Stevenage. And then, um, you know, as it always is, Billy Key, Sean McConville, just helping to drag things back. McConville, especially on this occasion, um, the star man. And it's kind of a funny one, this. I don't want to be too negative, but they are a promotion contender. So analysing them as such, I found that in the first half of league games this season, Accrington's goal difference is minus two. In the second half of league games, their goal difference is plus 17. And that's obviously incredible. And what a team full of character it's and fight. Unbelievable, that. But it's not necessarily a particularly good thing. That, no. that you know you don't want I'd bat Swindon tonight so I'm going to have to be ready at half time to, um, to get, to get to out to cash out yeah, yeah. Um, so that's an interesting one um, we would like to point you guys in the direction of some stats that Mark O'Hare posted earlier today um, he posted the uh, this is sort of stats corner I'd say um, he posted the all divisions uh, league table in terms of XG from open play and there's some interesting things that that threw up um, and also the sort of looked back at the start of the season what the bookies predicted to happen and sort of looked at, uh, at reality versus what the bookies thought and, and says that really the great overachievers uh, in terms of, of odds, anti-post odds, Shrewsbury, Bristol City, Accrington and Wickham and the great underachievers, Sunderland, Hull, MK Dons, Berry, and Chesterfield. Um, I've got two stats for you to lead us out because okay. very soon we're going to have a podcast that's dedicated to the most exciting things we can find. And we've been able, thanks to our uh, media appearances elsewhere, to, to acquire the rights to, uh, to a larger amount of data. And hopefully that will help us to, to improve our analysis on the EFL. So we hope that you'll notice uh, an improvement in that. Stats like that Accrington one that, that I gave you just now. But also, Wolves, George, have played 30 league games. They've conceded two goals in the opening half an hour in 30 league games I mean that's going to set you up pretty well uh, in any game if you can go in to the to the sort of after half an hour no, not conceding a goal and Fulham they've scored 18 goals this season in the last 15 minutes plus injury time of league matches that's four more than any other championship team Brentford with 14 and they score just over a third of their total goals at the end of those games 35% so if Fulham and Brentford are the top two teams does that suggest that the possession approach 
sort of uh, helps to, 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 to tire teams, helps teams to score goals at the end of games? That's an interesting question. Um, yeah, you would suggest so. It's just that retaining the ball, I suppose retaining the ball at late, late times when, when teams are naturally going to sit deeper is always going to be a, a, a good thing for late goals. So yeah, I, I can see the logic. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much for your company today, George. Thank you all for listening as well. Uh, we are at NTT20pod on Twitter. So get in touch if we've said something really stupid, if we've said something really good, if you've loved or hated the podcast, and certainly if you have enjoyed it, we would ask that you share it with a retweet or anything that you can do for us really to help spread the word. We are always up for more. RTs appreciated. RTs appreciated. I couldn't have said it better myself.